Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli. To find out more about the Sports Deli Podcast, check us out online at thesportsdelipodcast.com. And whether you're folding laundry, driving, exercising, or cooking, grab your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and your favorite beverage, and let's do this together in the Sports Deli. We're so incredibly honored to welcome on this fifth day of National Ice Cream Baked Bean and Hot Dog Month, Mad props to Joey Chestnut for winning his record 14th Nathan's Independence Day hot dog eating contest with a record 76 dogs yesterday. D Smoke Stew. Dave Stewart, former Major League Baseball pitcher who hails to us from Oakland, California, who along with Doug Williams, who was also on our show, that we believe should be in Canton and Cooperstown, respectively. He attended St. Elizabeth High School, where he was an All-American in both baseball and football, and averaged 16 points per game for the basketball team as well. He was offered 30 scholarships in football as a linebacker and tight end, but turned them all down to pursue a career in baseball. His brother first taught him the game, and he started as a catcher, and his dad didn't want him to play baseball because he didn't think he could make a living playing baseball. He shares a birthday with Jeff Daniels and Smokey Robinson and was born the same year as Steve Harvey, Bernie Mac. Katie Couric, Vanna White, Russell Simmons, Martin Luther King III, and Spike Lee. He was drafted in the 16th round of the 1975 draft and made his major league debut on September 22, 1978 for the Hall of Fame manager Tommy Lasorda-led Los Angeles Dodgers. He played for five major league clubs over an 18-year span that included three World Series championships while earning the 1989 World Series MVP. He finished with a career ERA under four and went 168 and 129, including four straight 20 win seasons from 87 to 91 with 1,741 career strikeouts. On June 29, 1990, Dave threw a no hitter for the Oakland Athletics, and later that evening, Fernando Valenzuela threw a no hitter for the LA Dodgers. He played with Frank Tanana, Dave Rosema. I mentioned them because they're my former Tigers. Mark McGuire, Ricky Henderson, Fernando Valenzuela, who we just talked about, Mike Sosha, Steve Garvey, Pedro Guerrero, and so many amazing other players. After his playing career, he has worked with general managers, been a general manager, a pitching coach, done color commentary, and is currently attempting to purchase half of the Oakland Coliseum, which we will talk about later, and its comparison to Petco Park here in San Diego. You can find him on Twitter at dsmoke34. And like I said, Stuart, flowers to the better half. Uh, I have established a relationship with your wife, Lonnie, um, a while ago, sort of by accident. It was, but it wasn't because I had contacted Bruce Maxwell. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't know at the time initially when he said he would love to come on, which he did eventually, that Lonnie you know, was uh, his agent. And so uh, we got to talking. And then obviously she follows me on social media and sees a lot of things that I'm involved with and, and that type of thing. So it's been been wonderful to get to know her and be in some rooms with her that I've heard you in also on Clubhouse and things like that. So hmm. uh, flowers and mad props to to her and and obviously to you for we, we always wonder why people come on our show. But we're we're honored that you're that you're here with us and sharing time with us, whether it's been uh, Doug Williams or Phaedra Knight or Dr. Richard Lapchick. Uh, you know, the, the 13 WNBA players we've had on mm-hmm. and stuff. So it's been, it's truly been an, an honor and a privilege to listen and learn and share space with, with uh, legends like you. 
truly an honor to have you in the sports daily way to come get that karma. Appreciate you having me on, man. Shoot, I was listening to all, <laughs> all the accolades and the people I'd played with and birthdays that I share with Smokey Robinson, man. That's impressive. Yeah, it is. Uh, we always like to mention the years and, and who you who you were born on the same day with. So it's pretty cool. Um, so how, how have you and the better half stayed busy and 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 uh, dealt with COVID? It's, it's been a crazy 15 months. Well, through COVID, we did like most people or like most people should have been doing anyway. Um, we became a, a family of us um, and spent most of our time indoors. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, my mother passed uh, July 27th of, of uh, last year. Oh. Not COVID related, but just, you know, uh, she was 92 and, and, wow. and uh, dementia. Um, and so wow. uh, when my mom passed, um, we were we were moving to uh, Phoenix, hmm. and we now reside in Phoenix. And my um, my stepfather, who is 102 years old, oh my god, lives with us. And um, wow. And so um, you know, a lot of our time has really been spent just uh, amongst ourselves uh, and family. Um, Lonnie uh, is now I call her super agent. She hates when I call her that, but um, she is a tremendous job. Uh, as an agent representing both major league and minor league players. Yep. Uh, I have taken um, on many different things. Uh, I work with a health and wellness company called Zen. Mm -hmm. And uh, we uh, have a product that's an all natural pain relief product, uh, similar to Tiger Bomb and um, Icy Hot and Bengay, except ours is all natural, um, wow. all natural ingredients. So I started that some four years ago, but really got into it over the last two years because I've had time to do it. Um, and then um, I work with a baseball team down in Mexico, Monclova, Aceros, hmm. which in 2019, uh, we were the Mexican League champions. It was their first championship in 45 years wow. of being in the Mexican Leagues. Um, and so that that's one of the other things that I... I uh, had been doing. And then I worked with NBC Universal in the Bay Area doing a pre and post game analysis for the A's. Um, and uh, God, I think that this is my fourth or fifth year doing that. It's funny how time flies. <laughs> uh, um, but, uh, you know, the better part of my life, uh, and I'm hoping until the day I, I, I no longer breathe, has been baseball and it still is baseball. And, and, you know, as long as the A's or a baseball organization will have me, I'll be involved in baseball. I love the sport. Yeah. Um, I'm 64 years old, the better than half my life has been baseball. And it's quite frankly, the thing that I most enjoy. It's not the only thing that I know, but it is the thing that I most enjoy. I enjoy the game even though the game's not what I grew up in, uh, but I do enjoy the game, enjoy watching the game. The A's invite me to spring training as a guest coach. I spend some two or three weeks with them and working with the pitchers and the catchers. And uh, in season, um, they uh, allow me the opportunity to get out and look through their minor league system and evaluate the coaching and the, and the players. And so, you know, I've got enough to keep me busy. That's for sure. That's awesome. Um... And obviously when you're in the dog days of summer 
and you're playing, you know, you have a one track mind, you're staying focused, you're pitching once every three, four or five days. And as your career transitioned uh, into life after baseball, you obviously uh, see that the game has a lot of different layers to it. Obviously it's evolved. There are, you know, some things going on now that, that haven't necessarily gone in major league baseball's uh, favor in terms of marketing and things like that, which we'll talk about later. But one of the things, uh, as you talked about, uh, you have enough things to keep you busy. I read a story for those of you that haven't checked it out, go on ESPN and, and check out this story. And I'm, I'm sure obviously you know about it cause it's in Oakland, but there, there was a player for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals a couple years ago, who's now with the A's, uh, Stephen Piscotti. And so his mom got ALS. Uh, this was about three years ago. And so he asked for a trade to the A's. And so they worked out a deal so that, you know, Stephen could live in the Oakland area and help take care of his mom who had ALS. And so she died about five months later after he, you know, got to Oakland. And so they started this uh, program last year because there was no fans allowed in 2020 in sections 106, 107, and 108, which is about 1,200 seats called the foul ball zone. And so for 148 bucks, they could buy a cutout, you know, of themselves or, you know, someone they loved, right? And uh, for that $148, you got the cutout, you got an autographed picture uh, of Stephen Piscotti, and then if a foul ball hit one of these cutouts, he would send you a baseball. And so for those of you that want to know more about the story, you go on ESPN and check it out. There's, there's a couple of things that they talk about with regards to a former Oakland A's uh, employee and two brothers that had cutouts, one with autism. Um, and so, you know, these are the kinds of stories, you know, that you're sort of uh, a part of, maybe not necessarily directly, but indirectly. Um, and the other remarkable thing about that foul ball zone is it's one of the, well, it is the last hybrid stadium in major league baseball that used to be played with football and, and baseball. And there's only a 0.2% chance of a ball going into that foul territory, uh, according to the experts in major league baseball. So that makes it even more remarkable that they were able to raise $76,000 mm-hmm. for the number of foul balls during last year's COVID year. So talk, talk about like not only that program and how special that is, and that's why you love Oakland so much, you know, things like that going on and why you put in a bid for $115 million to, to try and, you know, uh, do some things in that area similar to how we did here in San Diego that's re- completely rejuvenated downtown San Diego. Sports Deli is sponsored by SportRx, the leader in sport prescription eyewear. You can find them online at sportrx.com. And don't forget to enter the code DELI10 at checkout for your special 10% discount. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the Sports Deli. Well, I mean, Steven Piscotti, um, for the fans that don't know him, um, is a quality human being, first of all. I mean, and, and, you know, the story about his mom and what he uh, wanted to do um, in her last days um, is, is absolutely unbelievable. Um, but you also have to take your hat off to the St. Louis Cardinals for agreeing to make such a deal. Um, unheard of. And it's unheard of in the game of baseball, just yeah. so you know. And so, um, and then to go on and perform uh, and play 
um, as well as he did under the circumstances, which he played very well during the course of that season. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you have something that's close and near and dear to you, um, as ALS has become for him, um, what's, what's amazing is to be able to come up with something um, to help benefit the, the disease. Um, but then the second part of it is to get the organization to buy in to what you're, what, what you're trying to accomplish and what you want to achieve. And the A's bought into it, which um, was very fortunate for Stephen. And it wasn't just for that period of time. He still has continued to do that. Right. Um, for the community and for um, the ALS. Yeah. Um, and so it's just it's just an unbelievable task. And, and it's and to be able to to perform and play under the circumstances that he did. To, and like I said, it wasn't a mediocre year for him. He played well. Yeah. Um, the team made the playoffs and he performed well in the playoffs. Um, I think you have to really take your hat off to him for what he was able to accomplish. And, um, you know, obviously we all felt extremely sorry for the death and loss of his mother. Um, it's just one of those things that you should never hope to happen. And it does happen at some point. Obviously yeah. we all live for a long, we're not gonna live for forever, yeah. but um, you know, loss of your mother um, is just, as I, I experienced it myself, it's just one of those things that um, you just, you, you know, it, it's going to happen, but when that time comes, you're not ready for it. And then as far as, you know, the purchase of the land at the Coliseum, you know, I was fortunate to be able to play in a city that I grew up in. Amazing. I grew up uh, twice. Block, block, yeah, I'm sorry. Twice. Yeah, like twice. I grew up <laughs> blocks. I got a chance to retire there, play there, and then come back and retire there. Um, I grew up blocks away from the Coliseum. Um, I am aware of, of uh, what the city itself is going through. The A's are, are trying to uh, build a $12 billion uh, stadium in, in downtown uh, Oakland. Uh, area called Howard Terminal, right? And but at the in the in the meantime, East Oakland um, is an area that, in my opinion, has been forgotten. I grew up there, blocks away from the Coliseum. Uh, spent all of my young life, teenage life, and even lived there uh, in my adult life. Uh, and so, you know, what I'm what I'm hoping to accomplish, and what I'd like to do, is to to put Oakland, East Oakland in a place and on the map as it was when I was a kid. I mean, there were so many historical things that took place um, in East Oakland, um, in Oakland, California in general. Um, Can I ask you a question, Dave? Sure. Is East Oakland uh, considered inner city or, or is it a mix? Like give people an idea of what it's like. You know, I grew up like between eight, nine and 10 miles. So there was a mix there in Detroit, you know. How is it? And is that is that one of the fears uh, as to why they don't necessarily want to go there and rebuild? Because, you know, that's, from my perspective, an angle that you absolutely should go into if it is considered an inner city uh, to bring more businesses to the black and brown community, you know, and those types of things, because we're not going to get to reparations anytime soon. 
So that's obviously something that we should all be an ally for. Well, it is considered inner city. Okay. Um, without a doubt, uh, East Oakland is considered inner city, but downtown Oakland is considered, I guess, downtown. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when I listen to the A's and their reasons for wanting to build a stadium in downtown Oakland, I clearly, I clearly get it and I understand it. I mean, as you said, if you, if you look at what's happened in San Diego, if you look at what's happened in Colorado, you look at Baltimore and Cleveland and some of the newer facilities that have built, been built in the downtown areas, those areas have flourished. It's created jobs. It's created revenue for the city. But at the same time, the, my goal and what I hope to accomplish um, in purchasing the Coliseum of property is the same. Um, but to bring more jobs, there were there were 144 jobs that were lost through Black-owned businesses through the pandemic uh, in East Oakland. And so we are trying to build businesses. We've got data. We, we have plans for a data center and incubator. We have plans for hotels. We have plans for market housing, affordable housing, hotels, retail. Um, we plan to keep the arena, which... The concert industry at the arena was was flourishing at the time of the pandemic, and so you bring that back. But you know, more importantly, um, being able to create an atmosphere by putting valuable dollars in the East Oakland community, starting at the Oakland at the Oakland Airport, and and have it carry over into the the general area, will create a revenue stream and will create an industry that will be able to make itself selfish, self-sufficient. Um, we've had conversations with Google. We've had conversations with Starbucks. We've had conversations with Whole Foods. You know, people, a lot of people don't know that Google not only is, uh, is, is uh, they are doing affordable housing in communities, wow. but they also do internships and they also do um, education for our youth to get involved in the tech industry. And when they leave that industry, now they leave able-bodied able people to um, obtain jobs that started $50,000, $60,000 once they leave the internship. So wow. there's a lot that's going on um, that most don't even know about in our plan. Mm -hmm. uh, but because I'm from that area and I received so much from East Oakland as a child growing up, um, this is my last wish to be able to create a city, as I put it, within a city um, that will be self-sufficient and create a revenue stream that comes in the community, uh, which will make it sustainable and will make it independent in, in, in terms of being able to just do things, to be able to educate your children, right. to be able to afford your own home, to have a job and become self-sustaining generational wealth, education, healthcare, uh, you name it, it's going to impact it. Um, man, I, I really hope that happens. I, you know, and, you know, take a guy like Dan Gilbert, um, you know, owner of uh, Rocket Mortgage and, you know, the, the five companies, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and for all of the things that, you know, maybe people said about him as an owner, you know, he has gone into the city of Detroit. He has put billions into the city of Detroit to help rebuild it. And, you know, we need allies, we need white allies, 
who believe in this, you know, you know, whether it's a, a basketball guy like Mark Cuban or, you know, uh, Jerry Jones, like whoever it is, we need rich, you know, allies and, and, and other layers like you just talked about to believe in, in this vision. And I really hope it happens. Uh, it's amazing that someone like you is, is putting your life's work back into this as your, as your last, one of your last, you know, bucket list kind of things, yeah. because it, it means so much to not just you, but the greater good on, on so many levels. I mean, it's kind of been my commitment since I've been a kid growing up. I remember sitting on the back porch with one of my good friends and oh. talking about the things that we wanted to do. I mean, it all started with, with having a good living and, and earning a nice living and having a nice life, being able to give back to the community. And we talked about that since we were kids. And so, you know, as a professional athlete and being able to come back to the Oakland area, you know, I've been been putting time and dollars into the community long before now. And now that the East Oakland area, because every time I'm home, which is a lot, um, when I drive the, the drive the neighborhoods or drive, I can drive from one end of the city to the other and never get on a freeway. Yeah. And so when I drive those areas, you know, it, it becomes very apparent to me what, what's needed. I mean, yeah. homelessness is, is an epidemic across the country, and it's extremely bad in the San Francisco and Oakland area. And so, you know, we got to figure out a way to do that, and I believe we can. But more importantly, I think what's needed in the East Oakland community at this point is for people to be able to to support their families and, and to have education. And as you said, have education, have those things offered to them, to put them in situations that they can, that they can do great things for themselves and for their, for their kids. Yeah, well, everything under that umbrella, um, I, I hope that happens and comes to fruition and, and anything we can do to support that. Uh, it's a big part of our show is trying to be a part of spaces as an ally um to to educate people and get them to understand the layers of systemic racism and social injustice and uh it may sound like it's just a business decision but it is so much deeper than that uh for so many generations and this is one of the ways that if you're going to uh change generational wealth and healthcare and education that you have to uh have sort of a leap of faith i guess to go into these areas that on paper don't necessarily look like the best decision, but in the end, it's one step back and two steps forward. Right. The Sports Deli is sponsored by City Lokes, C-I-T-Y-L-O-C-S. You can find them online at citylokes.com where you can go and make your own personalized license plate hats. They're so cool. You got to check them out. And don't forget to enter the code THESPORTSDELI at checkout for your special 10% discount. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the sports deli. So uh, I watched uh, to pivot a little bit or uh, bring a reliever in, whatever the analogy is. Um, you're, you're no hitter on, uh, I think it was what, the 29th of 1990, June 29th? Yes. Yeah. And so, as I mentioned, you know, Fernando had one later that evening, which was interesting. Uh, that's a rarity. <laughs> yeah. Took, took the, took the, the <laughs> try to steal the, steal the thunder. <laughs> Uh, but I watched you and and everyone uh, after uh, you, you threw that last pitch and it was caught by the center fielder. Tell everyone, A, is it true that like starting in the seventh inning, nobody talks to you in the dugout? Uh, and then when you were when you threw that last pitch, was it because you didn't smile? 
at all. Like, were you like so exhausted that you just couldn't even find <laughs> find a smile on you? Cause you were just barely hugging people. You're like, Oh my God, thank goodness. <laughs> the truth is I didn't talk to anybody on the bench anyway, starting the first inning. <laughs> so, so what anybody else does, that's what they did. But I wasn't, I wasn't the friendliest guy in the world on the day that I pitched. And uh, yeah. my teammates will tell you that I was focused in what I was doing and, yeah. You know, I don't know how anybody, quite frankly, can have multiple conversations with 25 teammates and concentrate on the next guy that you have to get out. Um, you know, I, I just don't know how that happens. Um, I've, I felt my best when I was in the game, all in the game, mentally there, um, thinking about the next at bat that I had to face. And so I never had those kind of conversations with the guys. And then, well, it was different back then because you didn't have scout, you know, the same kinds of scouting reports or availability, you know, you just had to go with the eye test sometimes and in, in terms of what you were going to do with the next spatter and you know, those you types do, of things. Well, you do, but even now, um, looking back, we, I mean, we had advanced scouting. We had guys that went out, we had advanced scouting. Mm -hmm. uh, Dave Duncan uh, did a good job of keeping charts and Tony um, did a good job of situational mm -hmm. um of situations, I'm sorry, in games. Right. And uh, what managers do in certain situations, he was always good at that. But I mean, we, if anything, were ahead of the curve uh, when it came to, uh, I guess, the beginning of analytics, mm -hmm. um, the beginning of lefty-lefty uh, matchups and, and your matchups in, in general. And so we were pretty, we were pretty well informed. Uh, Dave Duncan was a was a video guy back then, and so was Tony. Um, so we were well informed. I just wasn't one of those guys that utilized those opportunities. Um, I felt that my best chance was what I was doing in a game, during the game, and watching what the hitter was doing, and remembering games that I pitched against those different individuals. So. I kind of had a mental Rolodex against each team that I pitched against on my own, but also I felt very confident in the things that made me successful and knowing myself is what allowed me uh, to be successful against the teams that I faced. And I didn't alter what I did very much for anybody. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, it's, and so at the end of that, no hitter, you were, you were tired. I was huh? exhausted. I was exhausted. That was as tired as I've ever been. Wow. And he started my career. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't mean to smile. It's just my, my face didn't have a smile in me. And as you saw, when I was walking through my teammates, I felt like a rag doll because they were pushing me. Right. I just didn't have the strength uh, after, <laughs> after that outing to, to really, I just didn't have the energy. Yeah. I, I, was, I was done. You're done. Man. I was actually, you know, I talked about this on a, on a couple of occasions. I was tired for about four days, physically wow. tired. I, I, I skipped, I skipped my in-between bullpen um, because I was just physically tired for the next few days. It was just mentally draining. Draining. Oh man. <laughs> Interesting. Um, <clears throat> that's awesome. And Cause I saw Ricky Henderson, he was trying to find you and you kept walking away. <laughs> He's like, oh, Dave, just do, do. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I'm trying to get to the trainers. Room. Yeah, that's right. So I can lay down on the table. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Get those ice packs going. 
so you touched on uh, growing up um, and in, uh, you know, East Oakland and, and Oakland. That, so how, <clears throat> did you have to face, um, you know, the types of things that we talk about more now since, you know, the death of George Floyd more than ever, you know, the, the, the talk that you had to have with your parents, you know, looking over your shoulder all the time, if you were going in certain spaces, or did you just hang out at, you know, in, in your hood and, and uh, you didn't necessarily see those things and you just stayed busy with sports. Sports Deli is sponsored by PSK Collective. Be inspired in PSK. Their clothing line promotes inclusivity, empowerment, and equality. And you can find them online at Kohl's.com, Walmart.com, TJ Maxx, dot com lids.com and now target.com and now back to this incredible interview right here in the sports deli well oakland and i say oakland in general when i was growing up um so i'm born in 57 my youth would have been uh early 60s until the early mm-hmm. 70s and then is that's when i started uh mid 70s 75 i signed to play my my first professional year. So when you look at the early 60s and the early 70s, you know, we had the Black Panthers on 73rd and East 14th, um, the Sibianese Liberation Army, um, which a lot of people know about that. Um, We had a Muslim mosque uh, that was visited by Malcolm X, all within the radius of about probably five miles. Um, and within miles of my house, I could walk to the mosque. I could walk to, I could walk to the Black Panther Party on uh, 73rd and East 14th. Um, Oakland was known as Chocolate City Two back when I was growing up. Washington D.C. being one at right. that time, and then Oakland was two. Wow. And we had a lot of migration from from uh, the South, Louisiana, Texas. A lot of people came from Louisiana, Texas looking and seeking work opportunities. Um, and so there were a lot of Black folks in East Oakland and Oakland in general, East Oakland, West Oakland, North Oakland, those areas in general. Mm-hmm. But what's crazy is I never experienced the type of racism in Oakland that I did in the South as a professional athlete. Um right. You know, my first years, uh, not my first year, Bellingham, Washington was still West Coast. Uh, but then going to San Antonio, Texas and playing in the Southern League and San Antonio um, was it, it was great. But when you go to Jackson, Mississippi and places like that, um, then you start to really see and hear things that you've never heard before. Wow. You know, and in 78, the same year that I was uh, in the Southern League or in the Texas League, I got called up to the big leagues. And one of my first cities was Atlanta, Georgia, which uh, was not a great experience as well. Um, so, hmm. you know, once you start back in those days, you start getting into Arkansas and, hmm. and uh, Mississippi and even parts of Texas, Georgia, um, Alabama. Um, your experiences as a black man aren't as good um, as I remember uh, when I was in uh, California. Yeah, sorry for those experiences. Um, <clears throat> I just can't even imagine. We've talked about this a lot on the show. Um, it's, it's just uh, even now to, to 
live in the times that we live in, which are, are better for the black and brown community and uh, many, in many respects, but, you know, not only the Black Panthers, but Martin Luther King and the pushback then in the 60s and, uh, you know, JFK and his assassination. And, you know, there's just so much going on. Um, and so you talked about the things in the minors for about the three years that you were in the minors. And then so you go play for Tommy Lasorda. And I know, you know, Tory Hunter's come a little bit after you and, and Bruce, obviously, you know, really well. You know, uh, there was a lot of things that happened after, you know, he kneeled in 2017. And, you know, you can go back from whether it's Muhammad Ali to Arthur Ashe. And, you know, there's there's a lot of layers to this. But um, <clears throat> obviously, I, I know there's a lot of stories about Tony Lasorda. You know, he's he's uh, obviously a legend, a Hall of Famer and, and uh, you know, a, a phenomenal manager. But how was it to play for him as your first experience and and you know, I know there's obviously just because of the times, uh, a lot of things with fans and fans has become a big uh, topic of conversation, whether it's the NBA uh, or Major League Baseball and, and those types of things. And, and uh, so how was it for you then? And, and do you think we're, you know, going in the right direction now or does more need to be done when it comes to the fans? You know, um, every time I, I, this is what I found every time I say, I think we're making progress we end up uh, taking a step backwards. Um, and it's not one step backwards, it's multiple step backwards. And then we may take two steps forward, but because we've taken so many steps backwards, um, we just never catch up. Um, you know, if we're talking about George Floyd or Rodney King, <laughs> you know, uh, we can, the only difference is, is George Floyd, we got it right when the decision was made. And Rodney King, they got it all wrong. But yeah. the bottom line is, um, shortly after George Floyd, uh, another black man was shot down and killed in, in Minnesota. Yeah. We had a young man shot and killed in Atlanta, Georgia. It just continues. Um, and so it, it's difficult for, for me to say we're headed in the right direction. Um, when I look at Major League Baseball and I look at the amount of black managers on the field, and you know, and I'm bringing this closer to home now. Sure. Got black managers on the field. How many do we have? Two: Dusty Baker and and Dave Roberts, right? Yeah. Um, and when we look at uh, we look at uh, players, there's even less than players. That. There's less, and when you well, there's more players than there are managers for sure. Yes, for sure. But there are. Let's put it like this. If we had a percentage of managers in the big leagues that represented the amount of black players in the big leagues, we'd still need to add more black managers. If we had to have representation in the office in decision-making positions, running teams, you would have to make more hirings. And so um, when I speak about the game of baseball, um, you know, there was a period of time when I said we're making improvement. Um, but at this date and time, I say we're not making any improvement at all. And when it comes to this world, when it comes to this world, you know, I'm not too sure we weren't better in the 60s than we are right now in, in the in the in the in the 2020s and 21. Sports Deli is sponsored by Moolah Kicks. Moolah is M-O-O-L-A-H, like money, Moolah. And kicks like shoes, one word. You can find them online at moolahkicks.com. And it's the first ever female-only brand basketball shoe. 
So it's a shout out to the basketball street culture and it is also about fighting social injustice and gender inequality worldwide and here in the United States. And again, you can find them at moolahkicks.com. And now back to this incredible interview right here in the Sports Deli. Um, you know, in the 60s, um, one of the things that I appreciated about the Black Panthers is that at least we had reputable protection right. that, let, that put law enforcement on Notice. notice that hey if this happens to us then there's a pretty good chance it'll happen to you we're in a period of time now when a car is pulled over and i've got a i've got a young son 23 24 years old and i have older sons that are 40 and 41 years old they're still my sons and they're black and if they get pulled over um i worry about them you know i i had to think about this because actually a couple of days ago i was pulled over in the dark by a police officer and maybe, um, I don't even know how to say it, but I wasn't so worried when I got pulled over. And my conversation with the police officer was a great conversation and by all right, I didn't have my license. I didn't have the stickers and tags on my car. I did have my insurance, but there was an opportunity for that officer and he was a white officer to say, hey, and, and give me all kind of crap. But you know what he said? He said, hey, look, I'm going to write this ticket. It's a fix-it ticket. You can get, once you get your tags, show up with your license, and we're not going to have any issues or problems. But, you know, and he, within his right, he could have told me, hey, look, I'm going to call somebody and pound your car right. and get it fixed. And it, it didn't happen like that. And I never thought about it like that. But I do worry for my children. I worry for my children. I worry that one day they're going to get pulled over and then history repeats itself. So, no, I don't, I don't, I can't say that the world as we are today is making adjustments and making steps in the right direction because every time we make steps in the right direction, then all of a sudden we're going the other way. Yeah, I'm sorry that's how you uh, feel and, and think about. Uh your children, because I don't, I can't, it's not something as a white person with white privilege that I think about with, you know, my daughter, you know, she gets into a car with a friend or, you know, when she starts to drive, it's not necessarily something that I'm going to think about. And that's the whole thing. We had uh, Crystal Robinson on our show, former WNBA player and coach. And in the middle of our podcast, she was arrested in a small town in Atoka, Oklahoma. She's from there. There's only 400 people there. And I kept recording, even though she told me to hang up, because I was like, <laughs> I'm not hanging up. I don't care what she says. Turns out she spends a night in jail. They dropped all the charges, but leaked it to the newspapers. And now it's a whole thing because she was racially profiled mm -hmm. from that area. So th this is just one example. So I want to ask you this, though, because it, it, it lead John Heath, who works for the Rock of Companies, um, He's worked in politics for a long time. He's actually in your area and there in, in Arizona. And um, the Reverend John Heath, he was homeless at one point, African-American. And, uh, you know, he's done a lot with politics and, and uh, Airbnbs wow. and, and now with the Rock of Companies. And so he was pulled over one time with a politician. And so this was an example of someone who could have been let go like you. And instead, the police officer didn't use discretion, which is the key word, discretion. Instead, they took him back to the police station 
had no idea that he was with a major politician. I think it was from Baltimore. And these, this is where you see the difference when white police officers pull over people of color is that the discretion choices are different. And so this is where I think we at least have start to, started to see in Sacramento and some other places, Minneapolis, policy changes, uh, de-escalation, which isn't always the answer, but there, there are some things that have changed because of George Floyd. I, I personally have seen, maybe you haven't, more white people that are allies and at least being a voice. And this is the other thing I'll ask you. Ryan Harris, who came on the show, he won a Super Bowl with the Broncos, uh, with Peyton Manning. And he said that when people are racist or ignorant or stupid or in denial, he doesn't look at it as you know something where he shakes his head anymore. He wants to know why. And so are we better off looking at it from that perspective, even though the accumulation from your standpoint is you shouldn't have any more tolerance. You should be up to your head in uh, your patient's level being totally maxed out. And this is now a white problem, really and truly, you know, from top to bottom. Uh, but should we look at it more from that standpoint uh, as to, you know, why are you thinking that way and being so arrogant as a white person to tell an African-American that this is just using the race card or the fact that, um, you know, times are different now, get over it. Instead of I've heard Doc Rivers, I've seen Doc Rivers cry at a podium. I've heard LeBron James talked about how he's scared for his kids also when he walks out of his house. He's scared also when he comes out of his house sometimes. You've talked about it. Crystal was pulled over in the middle of our podcast. There's thousands and millions of examples of the black and brown community even now still fearful, uh, double takes when they drive by a cop. And so, you know, the conversation has to continue. So when someone is stupid or ignorant, I'm trying to look at it now as not like wonderful. We can still talk about it, but it is an opportunity, anything short of death, to talk about this issue because otherwise it gets swept under the carpet and we need to keep talking about it because it takes a, uh, it takes a lifestyle change from a white person to internalize these issues on a daily basis and make it part of who they are if they're truly going to be an ally? I think this, um, change takes patience, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, what am I going to accomplish if somebody, I don't know how many times I've heard sour grapes. <laughs> you know, that's a term that I've actually grown to hate. Um, and I, I've heard that a lot in regards to baseball. Uh, when I was a general manager with Arizona Diamondbacks and got a two-year term there, the team uh, that I built in 2017 goes to the playoffs. And this is the last time they've gone to the playoffs. And, right. you know, no, what is the, what have the Diamondbacks done since 2017, which is a team that they inherited from me? Nothing. They're one of baseball's worst teams. They may be baseball's worst team this year, but the guy that, that, you know, the guy that owns that team sees fit to do things the way he wants to see fit to do it. And, and he can trash me or, or he did trash me and speak badly of me and how I did things. But the bottom line is that team went to the playoffs in 2017. I had two years to build a team. I built a team on $90 million, but people say that's sour grapes. Uh, I'm in Toronto for five years as the assistant GM director of player personnel and a minor league director. 
um, worked in Toronto, lived in Toronto, and uh, I knew that organization inside out. Our general manager was fired. The next logical person to become the general manager of that organization was me, but a hire was made by a person that had never done anything in the industry other than scout, and he was an advanced scout. I've never done a contract, never, never, I've never done a budget, never nothing. And so when I when I crowd about that, people say sour grapes. Every time it's been sour grapes. And so, you know, are you saying it's because you're an African American and you didn't know what you were doing? I knew exactly what I was doing, but people assumed that there were there were better options because they but were white. I don't know how you can be a better option if you've never done the job. If you just walked into a job, you've never done the job, you've not been on site to do a job. If you put resumes on the table and don't put a name or a face next to that resume, and you have to pick a person, the resume that's got the best experience and most experience gets the job. Right. In all cases, usually, unless you're overqualified, which I've heard that one before, but no, I'm not saying what I'm saying is. I've, I've just heard sour grapes so much and things that, in my opinion, are, are definitely black and white issues. Um, and, and so it just takes patience. Um, baseball and its practices are going to take patience and it may never change. Um, and in life, it's going to take patience and it may never change or small changes. You know, to try to explain to someone about something that they've never experienced in their life is difficult to do. And to, to even to try to explain it um, and, and, and intellectualize and term, it. Yeah. And in terms of, Hey, here it is. I'm going to put this can here and I'll put this can here. And this is what happened. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you explain it any better than that. You know, I, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a case for me. Um, and it has to do with wine tasting. I don't like Pinot Noirs and I don't care where they come from. You give me the best Pinot Noir that there is, but as soon as I know it's a Pinot Noir, I don't want anything to do with it. And I, when you try to explain that to people, if, if we could all walk in the room and we're all blind, we're all colored blind and everything looks the same, then this world would be a better place without a doubt in my mind. But we're not afforded that. Um, we do have color, we do have religions, we have things that prejudice people and, and, and that's the world we live in. And for that to change, and I do agree with you in this, through the George Floyd um, situation, I did see more black and white youth, universal youth, join together. And when you see that, that means there is hope for the future. I do agree with you there. But there's a movie called The Hate You Give. 
that I think is a movie that everybody should watch because hatred, racism, it's not something that's, that you just pick up. It's, it's something that's inherited, it's given. Um, and, and you inherit it. And quite frankly, you don't know how to get outside of that. It's the same thing with hatred. Hatred, racism, those are things that are inherited. And unfortunately, the majority of people in the South, they're gonna be racist. That's the bottom line, but it's, 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 it's passed on. And you can't wipe out a whole section of the country. You can't, what we can do is, is, is hope that we, we get better understanding of just human rights. Yeah, and, and it doesn't get easier sometimes with voter suppression and just the things that continue to go on after we did all this fighting in Georgia and, and everywhere else. And you're right, it does, it does uh, uh, get to a point where you're just like wondering whether or not we're going to advance in, in some of these areas. And, and the children are our future. You know, my daughter, during one of the uh, training sessions I do for basketball as a professional basketball skills trainer, <clears throat> she's drawing something on the sidewalk and she knows what I do, but she's white privilege. Um, she starts drawing all lives won't matter until black lives matter. I didn't ask her to do anything. And it sort of brought tears to my eyes because I'm like, she is just seeing what I'm doing to your point. You, you watch what your parents or the people you're around do. Mm-hmm. And she, so she, from a young age now has a level of sensitivity, even though she's still white, uh, that, that, that that will extrapolate to any road that she crosses for the rest of her life. And that's how we're gonna see the change in the future. My mother, my mother, and you know, everybody loves their mom, and everybody makes this statement, you know, there's no better mom than my mom. <laughs> right. When I was a kid growing up, she used to say, I don't care who you bring home. She said, if you if you like them, I love them. Mm-hmm. And that's my mom. Mm-hmm. And that's how we grew up. And in my household, we had. I mean, there were eight of us already. <laughs> wow. But, but we had sleepovers. And, <laughs> well, and sounds like my house. Oh, yeah. And, wow. and, and the way we grew up is the parents talked to the parents because you needed to know who their parents were. Yep. You know, and, and now everything is okay after that. You know, and if mm-hmm. it gets late, even on school night, if it gets late, one parent would call the other parent and say, hey, you know, Byron is fine you know it's gotten late here and I know it's a school night but the kids were playing you know because we played Monopoly all the time kids (laughs) were playing Monopoly and then you start eating and then after you eat you play Monopoly you know your favorite program comes on which back in those days it could have been the Brady Bunch or who knows what the hell that's right you lay down on the floor (laughs) and then all of a sudden the room is the whole room is just knocked out sleep and you say, well, I don't want to wake these kids up. So the parent calls the other parent and they say, hey, well, shoot, they're going to just spend the night here. I got plenty of floors, place and got plenty of blankets. They're all over the place, but don't worry about it. Girl, I fed them. They're, they're sleeping. <laughs> don't worry about it. You know, and that's the that's what I grew up in, you know, and then I I, I, I went to the boys club back then and it was the boys club then girls were were invited guests at that time but i went to the boys club and when i went to the boys club there were hispanics there were 
they're Asian, there was white, there was you name it, you know? Wow. The, odd, the odd one in the room back in those days was the, the albino because we didn't know what he was at that time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, so, exactly. But I grew up with everything. I played with everything. My baseball teams were everything. We were blacks and whites. The only thing that we had in common is we were all poor. <laughs> that was it. We were a bunch of poor kids that were able to, to put, our, put ourselves together and play on the same baseball teams, play at the boys' clubs. And, and the truth is, we didn't know what we didn't have because we had everything we needed. Mm. You know, my folks never once said no to me at all. If I said, Mama, but I grew up knowing that if, if you need it, then they're going to get it. Mm -hmm. You know, let's not go over the top, but let's just ask for what you need. What do you need? Shoot, mm -hmm. Ma, I got a hole in my tennis shoes now. She so guess what? Next day I got some new, I got some new, I got some new Converse. Right. And I had the same tennis shoes that everybody else had. You know, and if I wore out the knees on my goddamn jeans, <laughs> then you know what? Like every kid in my neighborhood, they didn't know any better. Guess what? They had those iron-on patches. Hey, so let's go. You get those iron-on patches, <laughs> right. and we're good to go, you know? But we didn't know any better because right. every kid that I looked like looked like me yeah. in the sense that, you know, sometimes you get your brother's, you get your brother's shirt, and now it fits you, and it doesn't fit him, you know? And we all got new clothes for Christmas, Easter, and the first day of school. You can count on it. Get yeah. a new suit wow. Easter, get new clothes for Christmas, and you get new clothes for first day of school, new books, erasers, and pencils. Wow. Everybody. You know what I mean? The, the birthdays were homemade cakes with candles, and you get a card. Wow. That's, that's, what, that's what I grew up in. So, shoot, vacation, man, was to get in the car, all of us, or get in two cars and drive down to Los Angeles and go to Disneyland. Wow. <laughs> so that's how I grew up. And, and, and my mother and my father raised us in a way that, shoot, man, we were, everybody was family. Whoever was at my house, mm. if it became the, if it was the weekend, we all went to my cousin's house and my cousin had one of those portable pools, swimming pools. And we get, oh, yes. pool, man, we play in the pool all weekend long. All weekend. All weekend long. You know, and now my cousin's house. Is 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 the flop house. Everybody's <laughs> my right. cousin. You know, and we're doing Louisiana style, have these crawfish feeds in the backyard with, with mm. potatoes in there and potato salad and fresh hot link sausages and hot dogs and barbecue. We barbecue it all, man. Don't know the difference. That's how I grew up. Hey, when you and Lonnie have that barbecue, let me know. I'm gonna drive over to Brother, Phoenix. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I love it. So, well, you learned leadership from your family, uh, how to handle multiple personalities, how to, how to juggle things, you know, how to listen, uh, how to apply what you've learned, how to learn from your mistakes. Um, and leadership is, is a unique thing. You have to sort of be true to your personality. Um, but you do have to have strong willed people that work with you so that they can tell you about yourself sometimes. Yes. Uh, even if they, you know, disagree with you, but then ultimately respect your final decision. And so, you know, you and your wife are in my eyes, a power couple, you know, people talk about Sue Bird and, and um, 
uh, Megan Rapino as being a power couple, but you are because in 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 your spaces, you know, you're doing some unbelievable groundbreaking things. Uh, you know, your wife representing Bruce and Bianca and what you're trying to do as a couple with the Coliseum. And so I want to ask you it from this standpoint. Um, we talked about generational things and, and changing education and healthcare and those types of things with the, the you know, the, the major endeavor that you're embarking on. Um, but when I look at Mark Emeritt, the head of the NCAA, and I look at Rob Manfred uh, and the mistakes that he's made, some admittedly, uh, and, you know, you talked about your time as a general manager and, and some of the other endeavors that you were a part of. Um, a, what does it take to be a great leader? Um, and, and why do people miss the boat in terms of evolving and uh, allowing the sum of the parts to make uh, the, the whole big picture better than the parts themselves? You know, I can only talk about being a great leader from being led by a great leader. And when I look at great leaders, I look at Walter Haas, who was the owner of our Oakland A's team. And mm. I spent a great deal of time with Walter um, away from the baseball field. Wow. Um, we, uh, we made a point to have lunch with each other, each homestand. We made a point if we were home to have lunch once a week. Hmm. We talked very little about baseball things, although we did talk about our team. But Walter was interested to know what I wanted to do and to help me get where I wanted to go. Wow. Um, and not because of the, you know, his influence of Levi Strauss or mm -hmm. because he owned the Oakland A's, but because um, he was a man that um, had knowledge far, far beyond mine um, and knew things that obviously I couldn't know. I was in my 30s. Walter was in his late 70s and 80s. And so uh, people might say that's a strange relationship, but um, I thought that it was one of the best things that ever happened in my life to come across him at that time. Wow. And, and what made Walter a great leader is the ability one to listen and to to hear you listen and you hear um, but then after you hear uh to give solid advice when asked and there's a lot of people that want to talk just to be heard there are a lot of people that want to give advice because they think they have something to offer you mm. but what walter did and Tony LaRusso was good as this as well. Hmm. Is when you are thirsty is when you drink. Mm -hmm. But when you're thirsty is when you get your best nourishment. And so when you ask for advice is when you're open to listen and receive advice. Yeah. And Walter and Tony were the best at that. Wow. They allowed the people that they put in charge to do jobs, to do their jobs. And other, for Tony, it was his coaching staff. Mm -hmm. um, for Walter, it was, he had a business. He was the chairman of the board for Levi Strauss. He didn't do the day-to-day -day operations. Right. He had somebody to do that. And he did not interfere 
in what they were doing. Tony didn't interfere with what the coaching staff did. And that hmm. you, you consider those people to be part of your body. You're the head, but what makes the body? Mm-hmm. And um, they were good at completing their bodies. Hmm. Walter was a good listener, um, but he was very knowledgeable and had good answers to questions that I didn't know he would have answers to. Well, and he was going into spaces that you could never even imagined yourself. Oh, unbelievable, the knowledge that I received from him. Um, and the foresight in, in getting out of just being me. Um, I learned a lot about being unselfish by talking to Walter and his beliefs in Levi Strauss and the community, um, but his family and the community. Um, and I became, came closest. Wally Haas, Wally Haas, his son, is one of my best friends, and I serve on a few boards for Wally. I know his grandchildren. In this particular case, I know Walter's great-grandchildren. Um, and I, I just learned that leadership um, is not because you have the hammer and forcing the hammer. Leadership is having people understand that you use the hammer when you have to use the hammer not because you have it. Leadership is having people understand that I understand and I listen and you matter. Yeah, you're valued. That, to me, um, doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a huge responsibility to be able to do those things because the people that you influence and the people that you affect, they never forget it. What a testament to finding that delicate balance to not wanting to talk to anybody in the dugout and being focused and maybe even borderline hardheaded to still having on your palate the understanding of leadership and how to lead. And when it was time to tackle those responsibilities after baseball, you understood those things, not only because of your upbringing, but because of the people that um, took a chance on you and you were willing to listen to them yourselves. Just a, an amazing testament. You know, I was fortunate. I had, um, you know, outside of my home, which I always tell you and I'll tell anybody, my foundation was laid between my two parents and, and seven siblings. The foundation was laid. Right. But when yep. I left my home, there were a lot of things that I didn't know. And there was, I wasn't really prepared for life when I left home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I look back on the people that influenced me, you know, Davey Lopes is, is, is like my big brother today. Mm-hmm. And Reggie Smith is like my big brother today. Don Sutton, God rest his soul, was mm-hmm. a huge influence on my life, as well as Bert Hooten and Bill Russell. Wow. So those guys, when I was a Dodger and I was 18 and coming into the organization, and I was a, a kid that was on the other side of the dug of of the locker room because we had the major league side and the minor league side. They took time when I was coming out of that locker room and was brave enough to ask them if they had time to talk to me about whatever. Mm. And then when I went on the major league roster, they just took me on their wing, but Davey and Reggie and Don Sutton, they spent time with me as an 18 or 19 year old and, would take me to dinner 
and show me the proper way to proper table etiquette. I didn't know what knives or what forks to use. <laughs> right. The, the napkin that was on the table, I had no idea it went in my lap. You know, sure. I figured yeah. it was just there. And if I made a mess, wipe your mouth or wipe your shirt. Yes. You know, and these guys taught me those things. Wow. They taught me how to be a professional. They taught me how to be a man. My father passed when I was uh, 16 years old. Wow. So the finished product wasn't there. And so, yeah, I've been fortunate to have mentors in my life outside of my family that were positive influences on my life. Mm. All right, let's get to the rapid fire. Amazing uh, dialogue. Um, I do want to ask you about mental health, but I'll tie it in a little bit to the rapid fire. If that's cool, you still good with a little bit of time here? Sure. All right. Bill Russell or Kareem? Holy Moses. <laughs> that's the first question. <laughs> Man, Bill Russell or Kareem? Kareem. I mean, both in their own right, uh, amazing players, advocates. I mean, across the board, just uh, that's a pick em. Yeah, Kareem, though, I think had to go through, not because he was black, although black had, plays a part of it. Yeah. Um, uh, Lou Alcindor. Wow. Yeah. That's tough, man. That's a <laughs> tough one. And I'm not too sure right now if it's Kareem anymore because Bill Russell was a first. Right. Well, he won a lot of championships. Yeah. So I take that back. I, I go with Bill Russell. Bill Russell was a first. Yeah. First, uh, first, first black player for Boston. First black coach. First. Yeah. Um, and so, and it ain't uh, it ain't easy being black in Boston. Wow. So I take that back. I go Bill Russell. What's your favorite stadium to play in? Boston. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I went to Boston for the first time about 30 years ago and all I saw was television, the, 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 you know, the, the big monster. And I walk in there and I'm like, this Cracker Jack box is Fenway. Never heard them talk about it like that. And I go in and I'm like, it's this intimate. Oh man. It, it's, I mean, I'm from Detroit. So Tiger stadium, Michigan and Trumbull, yeah. Uh, obviously has history and it's no longer there, obviously, but man, uh, Fenway is by far my favorite. My favorite. Yep. Oh, amazing. So which world series was your most memorable 81, 89 or 93? 93 was the most memorable. For I pitched the game that Joe Carter hit that walk off. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, as you remember, Todd Stottlemyre started a game we were rain delayed in Philadelphia. And if I'm not mistaken, the final score was 15 to 14 or 14 to 13. It was a high scoring game, but it was like, it's like two cats in a goddamn alley, just <laughs> slugging it out, you know? And then finally we won that game. So the reason why, um, because, you know, the 89 world series was, should be most memorable because I was home and it was a battle between the Bay, but, and my first one, obviously, you would say, well, in 81, man, that had to be your most memorable. But the reason why is just the dramatics in that in that series, the 93 series, the dramatics and 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 the toughness of the Philadelphia Phillies and their unwillingness to just lay down. You know, uh, it was a battle every game for six games. Amazing. Um, did you prefer being a starter or a reliever? I preferred starting. Um, I wanted to start from the day I got in the big leagues, but 
when I came up, unless you were just special, like a Fernando Valenzuela, you did not get an opportunity, excuse me, an opportunity to break that rotation. Antonio Gates or Tony Gonzalez? Woo! <laughs> God, dog. So two, probably two of the best tight ends to ever play. <laughs> you know, and... Well, Tony spent some time up north, obviously, in yeah, college. Well, I got a chance to see them both <laughs> through their careers. I'm old enough to say yeah, I saw right. through <laughs> yeah. the beginning to the end of their careers. And Rapid fire, Stu. Tony <laughs> O'Gates. There Antonio you go. Gates. So only, my because, only because I have a personal <laughs> relationship with him, so I know him. Oh, that's cool. It's funny. I coached his brother in college. Uh, he's my next-door neighbor. Really? Oh yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I've, I've been trying to get him on the show for a while. So if that, if that's a possibility to let him know, if you had a good experience, we'd love to have him on and, and his brother, Mo, who I coached here in San Diego. So my Tigers had a shot about a decade ago uh, to, to win it all. They let go of three Cy Young award winners, uh, Scherzer, Verlander, and Porcello. Can the Tigers ever recover? It's going to be a long time. Um, I like how, I like, uh, I like him. Um, I knew his dad, so the baseball's in his family. Um, you know, he inherited a mess when he took over that team. Oh. And I don't think anybody will deny that. Yeah. I mean, it has taken him a while to, to get to a place where, where they're going to be what I call competitive. Yeah. But I do like the direction that they're going in. And I think that they're going to have a chance. Uh, I give them in the next two to three years. Man, I hope so. It's been frustrating. Some of those best years, yeah. 84, and some of those other amazing Tiger teams were fun yeah. to watch. Bless you boys. Uh, so would you be more irritated if someone flipped their bat after a home run or if they took forever to trot around the bases after a home run? And which one would you be more inclined to throw chin music to the next batter? Can't say both, can I? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Both of them is going to create a problem. Both, <laughs> both wouldn't be Tim music because I never threw it a hitter's head ever. Yeah. But I sure have hit a whole lot of guys in the back. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, man, I love it's it. Probably both. Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski, or George Kittle? Ooh, Gronkowski. LeBron or Jordan? Jordan. Instant replay or no? Instant replay. Should we go even further with it? Because we see in tennis how quickly they do things. Perfect as it is right now. Got it. Uh, should we raise the pitcher's mound up higher again like it used to be? No. Kobe or KD? Kobe. Preferred fastball, four seam, two seam. For those of you out there, that's a sinker. A cutter or a splitter? Four seam. Yeah. Uh, curve, slider, or a slurve? Slurve. There we go. Bull Durham or a league of their own? Be careful now. Lonnie's going to be listening to this. I don't care. I love, <laughs> Bull, Durham. Boy, I love Bull Durham. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I love it. Ray Lewis, Lawrence Taylor, Mike Singletary, Jack Ham, or Junior Seau? Man, Junior was, <laughs> Junior was like my little brother. Uh, but poor, I don't know junior. that there's anybody that's changed the game more than. LT. Yeah, you got that right. I agree. Johnny Bench, Pudge, or Mike Piazza? Johnny Bench. Mm. Why? He did both? 
Well, shoot, man, he was a hitter, and you're right, he did both. He was a hitter, and he was a, I like a guy that can control the staff mm-hmm. and handle the staff, put down the right fingers. And I always felt that Johnny Bench, you know, once again, you know, 78, man, I had an opportunity to, to see that team play, and I grew up watching them. Um, and so when you watch him, he just, he was the guy. Yeah, I like the way he handled staff, and he definitely was no slouch when it came to swinging that bat. Well, his disposition probably fit that position perfectly. Mm-hmm. Calm, collected. Yep. Should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Greg Maddox or Clayton Kershaw? Greg Maddox. Man, he could paint the black, couldn't he? Ooh. Easy. Lord have mercy. <laughs> paint the black. He could hit the air on the ass <laughs> 100 yards away. <laughs> and he can golf. Yes, he can. Man. Roger Clemens or Pedro Martinez? That's tough because, you know, I used to, as you know, I used to beat up on Roger. Good. But I have appreciation for Pedro because Pedro is the guy that everybody said wouldn't do what he did mm-hmm. because of his height and because of his size. Yeah. So I'm going with Pedro. Bob Gibson or Dwight Gooden? Bob Gibson. Yep. You can put Bob Gibson, in my opinion, Bob Gibson gets anybody. Mm. And Bob Gibson is going to be an answer every time. I love it. That's awesome. Verlander or Scherzer? Ooh, I like Verlander. Um, Verlander was at that period of time when it was starting to change. And what I mean by that is Verlander was at the end of the complete game era, pitching innings, mm. 240, 250 innings. Mm. He was in that era. And so I'll always go for that guy. Scherzer, though, is a tough competitor. Don't get me wrong. No yeah. slouch whatsoever. Yeah. But uh, Verlander. Nolan Ryan or Randy Johnson? Nolan Ryan. Yeah. So what pitcher has adjusted their game the best to allow them to prolong their career since you've been a part of baseball? Eckersley or anyone else? Could be a hitter too. I was just – assume it's a pitcher. You can look at Frank Tanana. Yeah, Frank Tanana. Um. Oh, I loved watching him pitch. God yeah. bless. Um, I think that you'd also have to include Grinky in that mix. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, Kershaw is going to be yeah. in that mix. He's not quite there yet because he still has some velocity, but yeah. Grinky pitches with sub-90 velocity and still very successful. Man, he's got good stuff. Fun to watch. Yeah. yeah. Day or night games? I love day games. Wow. So did you love uh, playing at Wrigley? When I played there, I didn't play very much. That's right. I was only in the National League for three years. Yeah, that's right. I didn't play there very much, but I got to be honest, uh, Oakland was Wrigley South, Wrigley West when I was playing there because we played Saturday, Sunday day games, and then we had uh, two day games, maybe even three during the week, businessmen specials, and Mm, getaways were always day games. So sometimes we play five day games in a week. Awesome. I've been there and I yeah. love it. Yeah. I love, I love watching games there. Absolute best. Yeah. Um, so Mark Fidrich, the bird, he used to talk to the ball, right? Uh, so did you have a pregame like ritual or were you superstitious? Like what was your thing? Uh, my pregame ritual was get there as late as I could. <laughs> oh, spend wow. As little, spend as little time in the trainer's room as I could. 
Interesting. And uh, just get out there. And, and I was a 20 minute warm up guy. The, the stuff wow. that you guys are doing now is unheard of. I was Glad a 20 minute warm up guy. Wow. So I warm up, I get to the ballpark roughly an hour before the game started, time enough to put my, um, to put my clothes on, going, Barry Weinberg was, was my buddy. So wow. I would go in and talk to Barry Weinberg, the trainer, but not to get any work, but just to go in and hang out and talk to him for a minute. And then shoot, go right out to the field. Wow. Out of the dugout and walk straight to the bullpen mound and let's go. Old school. Harder name to spell, Teixeira, Mark Teixeira, or Tim Kirchin? Woo! <laughs> Kirchin. Can you spell Kirchin? No. <laughs> so if you talk if you spoke to tony since he came back to managing despite you know some of the controversy or whatever like have you Rosa? yeah oh man shoot i went to go visit him i was in chicago three weeks ago we we had a visit uh, how's he is he loving it is he stressed is he i mean how? um you know and he's not saying this but um i'm saying this i, I think that the media is unfair to him um, this guy has managed this team, and from day one, that team has been banged up. He hasn't played with any of his regulars. So yeah. All of his regulars at the same time, and they're in first place, not by a little bit, by a lot. Yes. Um, and so uh, when um, – so I think that the media has not given him credit for how good of a job he's done managing um, when he's not been at full strength all season. You know, they've talked about the uh, the extra inning where he pinch ran a pitcher or pinch ran for the pitcher and something didn't go right or he didn't pinch run for the pitcher, the pitcher ran, whatever the case may be. And and I was sitting talking here talking about thinking, when he didn't know the rule. Right. Yeah. And so I'm sitting here thinking in that situation, who did know the rule? Really? How many people knew the rule? Because. How often do you even double switch? Right. You know the rule. In the American League, especially about probably in the National League, there's a better chance more National League managers knew that rule than American League managers. Yeah. And so I thought that they were kind of difficult in that. But I think that he's personally, I think he's tough skinned, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, he's never expected anything to receive anything from the media from day one. Mm -hmm. um and so um I, I if i have to speak for him i think he's handling it quite well you know i was definitely critical initially but he has impressed me tremendously this year i gotta say it's uh you know it's not the best but not necessarily the worst division and and uh it's not an easy year with covid and all the protocols are still in place and you know for him to want to go through that because he loves the game so much and wants to get back to the game mm -hmm. still at his age is amazing yep it is <laughs> Pancakes, waffles, or French toast? Pancakes. Wow. What kind? Shoot. Blueberry. <laughs> uh, Brady or Montana? Brady. Ooh, that was a tough one. So is Mariano the, the best reliever ever? Or you got Eckersley, Trevor, Goose? Did I miss somebody? I think, see, once again, I, I have a I, – it's not a difficult time. I think that Mariano's a Hall of Famer and Trevor is certainly a Hall of Famer. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I look at best ever, I look at Goose Gossage. Yeah. 
Um, you might have to look at Mike Marshall. You might want to look at Lee Smith. Wow. I look at the guys that were multiple inning save guys, three inning save guys. Mm. People don't recognize that the rules of saves have changed. It used to be time run at the plate, which means, you know, we, there was no such thing as a three run rule save right. back in those times. Yeah. If there was, if it was one run, you came in the game, that was a save. Or, like I said, you pitched three innings, but the save rule became, in my opinion, manageable, easy. Um, and so no offense to Mariano or Trevor mm -hmm. or any of those guys, but um, Lee Smith, Goose Gossage, Mike Marshall, mm. Kent Tocovey. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you look at those guys, those guys had to work for saves. Absolutely. Different time for sure. No setups. Yeah. Vacuuming dishes or laundry? Vacuuming dishes or laundry? Yeah. Which one are you doing? Or prefer? <laughs> I prefer doing dishes. Wow. Interesting. I don't like uh, doing laundry. So who's going to get the, f the first two expansion teams? Uh, who do you think is the best option? Nashville, Portland. Nashville. Yeah. Nashville for sure. And from what I'm understanding, Montreal is going to build a stadium. So Nashville and Montreal. One of my favorite hard hats I used to have as a kid, because back then we, we collected those hard hats when you went to the mm -hmm. games. Mm -hmm. And the M, the Montreal M is just, you know, Tony yeah. Carter and, you know, all those guys, man, that was yep. great memories. Okay. A few more. Let's crank them out. Cause I've, your time's been ama amazing to spend with us this much time. Um, most important aspect of the new collective bargaining agreement that'll take place this December. The topic. Well, I mean, maybe one from each side where you think they both have to, you know, find some middle ground, less games. Uh, where are we going to go with some of this? I mean, I like it is, like it is. Less games, no. Yeah. I think the topics that are going to be attacked are always the same ones, arbitration and free agency. And mm -hmm. I don't know that either one of those you're ever going to get a compromise on those, but yeah. less games, no, without yeah. a doubt. I, I like the game as it is. Um, so I, I don't have an answer to that one. Sorry. That's, That's all right. What's your wife taught you most about life? What has my wife taught me most about life? yeah compromise <laughs> <laughs> there we go what a great answer one word, great word one word answer what's the next thing on your bucket list that you want to do it's nice to have one's work appreciated i want to i want to meet barack obama wow so do i i want to meet barack obama interesting before i die if it's the next thing this that would be hmm. great but if Somehow, God gives me the knowledge, and He says tomorrow's going to be your day. And then, and I know enough people that know Him that I can meet Him. Mm. But shoot, I got to think if He knew, shoot, Stu's about to kick the bucket. He'd <laughs> give me a visit, even if it's FaceTime. <laughs> oh, wow, that would be amazing. Yep. What's happening? Or good times? Few more. Oh, good times, easy. <laughs> All in the family or Sanford and Son. Sanford and son. Barry, Willie, or Babe? Willie. Really? Wow. Oh, yeah. Best player ever in the game. All right. Best mama joke. Your mom is so fat. I told her to haul ass, and it took her two trips. 
your mom is so fat when she jumped in the air she got stuck or your mom is so dumb she went to the eye doctor to get an iphone how about this one your mom is so fat when she rolled over she's in japan <laughs> oh man uh so an o2 pitch chin music with a rising fastball or a slider in the dirt i, I have a hard time because like i said i never you don't it. like chin music yeah you don't like so chin slider in the dirt yeah Shaq, Chuck, Ernie, or Kenny on Inside the NBA? Shaq, Chuck, Ernie, or Kenny? I like Chuck. <laughs> you would not be alone. He is funny, man. I was watching him uh, about a week ago, and he and Shaq got into an argument. He told, <laughs> Shaq, he told Shaq he was the worst defensive player ever in NBA <laughs> history. I thought they were going to go to blow. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Eddie Murphy or Richard Pryor? Richard Pryor. Yeah, he's an original. Chappelle, Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart, or Chris Rock? Man, Chappelle. Yeah, he is hilarious. Love Michael, Chappelle. He's yeah, hilarious. Hilarious. Mike, Michael Jackson or Prince? Michael Jackson. Okay, your favorite Jewish word here. Meshuggah, tuchus, or kvetching? I, I've never heard any of them, so... <laughs> Michigan, <laughs> there you go. All right, last question. Where do you see yourself in five years? Five years from now, 64, 69. Wow. Whew. Man, five years from now, I will own a major league team. I love it. Well, it's, uh, I've been waiting for this. I've been excited. We just had an Olympic runner from the 1968 Olympics on. And like I said, we've had Doug Williams. We had a lot of people on, but, you know, we had Heath Bell. We've had Shea Hillenbrand, uh, and his story is amazing. Um, and to have you on and to trust us with this space and to, to be on for this long has, has been an honor. Your story, your journey, it's not done. And uh, uh, much love and much respect to both you and Lonnie. And thanks for, for, for sharing time and space with us at, Truly an honor, and I really appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. And I'll uh, talk to Antonio. We both will talk to Antonio. So awesome. my guess would be you can look forward to having him. All right. I appreciate it very much. And maybe you'll come back and be a co-host with me. We'd we love to do that as well, if that's something you're interested in. That would be oh, awesome. I have so much fun. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good, Stu. I appreciate you. All right, brother. Take care. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Can't thank Stu enough. That was incredible. We hope you enjoy it. Dave Stewart who hopefully will be in the Hall of Fame one day, own a Major League Baseball franchise, and own half of the Oakland Coliseum for the redevelopment program for so many of the reasons that we talked about earlier to help change the direction of East Oakland once and for all. Dr. J and Coach K, I'm Hootie Hoot. Please mask up if you haven't had your vaccine yet. Stop Asian hate. Black Lives Matter, remember it takes a village. And until next time, much love. Peace.